everybody. Welcome to the Utah Royals FC Show. This is episode 55. We had soccer. We had actual soccer. That's super exciting. Let's talk about it. But before we get into that, hey, Lucas. Hey, RJ. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Dude, I'm great. I'm great. We talked about it before the show, finished finals. That's why this episode is a day late. (laughs) Uh, I'm getting a new cat. I am out here living my best life. How about you two? I am living my tiredest life. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a little exhausted after the weekend. I felt like so many fun things, but, you know, kind of hustling, hustling all day. But, you know, for sure. Saturday was a ton of fun. Saturday was so much fun. I'm still a little salty yeah. that our the the Royal side lost the staff pickup game. You you know it was funny. You kept marking me like I could potentially mm-hmm. do anything with the ball, and I just found that so amusing because you could have just left me wide open and I would have dribbled it out of bounds. Hey, you know easily. You, you never know what what someone's gonna pull out, so you always got to be prepared. I picked up a soccer ball once. That's about the limit to my actual soccering abilities. Yeah, it was it was really great for me to learn that most of the staff writers for uh, Soapbox are not particularly good at playing soccer, uh, which made me feel a little bit better about my, my abilities. I feel like the old saying, if you can't do right, is fitting to most soccer reporters. Yeah, I can dig that. I can dig that. Anyway, so there is a ton to talk about today. We will go, I guess, into kind of the news that was a little bit overshadowed by the home opener, but understandably so. So Utah Royals FC matches are going to be broadcasted and available to stream. So the away games will be on KMYU, so on local TV, and then the home games will be on KSL. Um, this is kind of a huge deal. The broadcasts, like to be frank and bold and blunt and honest, it is a joke that the broadcast was canceled last year with three games to go and the team still in the playoff line. And I know that we've talked about this a lot. It's a total disservice to the notion of, you know, the men and women's teams are treated equally we ourselves did a fan poll where 96% of fans said they would be disappointed at the lack of a local broadcast. So we don't have a local broadcast, which is unfortunate, especially considering how good Greg Rubel and Carla Haslam were. But I guess stepping stones to try to fix that mistake. I, so I am not for those of, Those of you who don't know, I am not in the local area. I'm in New York State. Um, So it's interesting to me as somebody who isn't in the area, um, just how little of a deal this was sort of made. I got a press release because I'm on all of the media press uh, listings for emails. But I would think the... I would think that the club would want to like put this out like a week or two before the season, you know, hype it up is this big deal. And it seemed like they were downplaying. It really didn't seem like they were making this a point of pride, which I've talked with you guys about it off air um, about these types of deals. And it seems like 
the people in the area really want them. And I would have expected the club to make it a point that, hey, guys, we were listening to you. We got this deal done. And it seems like they just aren't. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to search. I, I see one tweet about it, um, but not a whole lot of information beyond that. It's it's odd that kind of to RJ's point that this hasn't been uh, made a bigger deal of because it is significant that at least there's some option for broadcast. Yeah, it's not great. I mean, I think especially like the NWSL commentators are not great at all. Um, there's diversity in sense in a sense of who's the cast. I feel at least to some extent, but the analysis is just not good. Uh, Charles only put out a great article through Backline. I, I believe it was through Backline, right, RJ? It was, yes. Yeah, um, just about the quality of the commentary. And so at least it's a baby step, but what, you know, I think the market really needs and the fans really need and the players deserve is to have a local broadcast run by people who are familiar with the team. And that's why what Greg and Carla and all the folks behind the scenes, what they did was so so important and not to go into details, but it is a damn shame that that had to end the way that it did. Yeah. Yeah. Just a quote from Charles's piece, because I, I love how he ended this piece. Uh, he said, so tell the full story. Don't shy away from describing failure. Do provide context, but don't make excuses. Respect the players enough to hold them up to the standards they set for themselves. Respect the audience enough to tell them the truth. And I do think, local broadcast is better at that than sort of a national broadcast in the way that they do it for Yahoo, because you get to know the players and the teams. Like when we were having sort of every team had their own announcing crew in like 2017, 2016, like you got to know the players for, for which team you're calling. So you were able to have that relationship. They were able to have, sort of more information. Yes, some of them were terrible when a team came into town because they didn't know anything about them. But that's something that hopefully they would work on in the future. But they are able to have sort of a deeper level of of connection. When I watch sports, I'm a big baseball fan. I always put the Red Sox feet on because they do have that intimate knowledge of the team that I want to hear that you can't get on like an ESPN broadcast. Yeah. And they get the pronunciation right. And the spelling, they're, they're more likely to get the spelling right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you all saw the spelling of Lola Bonta's goal through Yahoo Soccer. I don't even know what that was, if a, a cat ran across the keyboard or something. But that was just ridiculous. That had to just been some kind of terrible clerical mistake. Like That could not have been a, an attempt at the name Lola Bonta. Yeah. That was not a word. Even if they had, like, you know, tried to do it phonetically, like, that's it's not even in the realm of, like, L-O. Okay, that's all her first name is. Like, they didn't even get – it was terrible. What was weird, though, is I, you know, I I streamed the uh, post-match press conference through uh, RSL Soapbox Twitter. The caption on the – the video which I wrote was like post match with low, which was great. But then the tweet like somehow corrected to say post post match with Ali, like A L I. 
I have no idea how that changed, if that was like an autocorrect thing, because I certainly didn't write it twice. It was correct in one place. It was uh, super weird. So I maybe feel a little bit for the broadcasters, but they should take that you know more seriously than than a, than a live tweet. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, for starters, Lola Bonta is not number 11. She's number 9. And uh, even more so, her name uh, does not look like Thembi Catalana. So close, though. I really, I really want <laughs> the Royals to like be fun and just like put out like a Utah Royals have signed, you know, and then put that player's <laughs> name on like Twitter just for just for some fun with a picture of low. Like I feel like they could play it up and be like, all right, we're you know we're poking fun, sort of the NWSL poking fun at itself. Also, um, real quick before I forget, our friends and obviously also players with the organization, Erica Timrak and Rachel Corsi, have launched a podcast called Rethink, where they're going to be blethering about a bunch of stuff. If you've listened to the first episode, you get what I mean by blethering. Um, Additionally, Katie Stengel is also going to be launching a podcast I read somewhere sometime in the near future, so that's really awesome. Um, so a lot of other ways to get Utah Royals FC coverage from the insiders themselves. In the meantime, we will continue to um, promote our uh, mediocre show and our hot takes. But um, this is this is really, really cool. So, you know, granted, if you listen to what we do, chances are you're going to go check those out anyways. But um, if you weren't thinking about it or you didn't know it was a thing, go do that. Both those uh, Stangle's podcast and Erica's and Corsi's podcast will be up. Also, shout out to Rachel Corsi for putting our sticker on her water bottle. Um, I think that's just kind of the sign that uh, we have achieved what we have wanted mm-hmm. in life, and uh, it's okay to shut the show down. I'm just kidding, but uh, that was insanely cool to see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Jumping to the next thing, NWSL attendance. Our attendance specifically, absolutely fantastic with 18,015 people showing up. So not as solid as the home opener that we saw last year, but definitely, definitely something to be proud of. The total league attendance was 41,991. The average attendance, I guess, per stadium would be 8,398. So for the Royals to have 18,000 of that, absolutely fantastic. Hopefully we sort of keep up with that. Then again, on a side note, um, Sky Blue for their home opener, 1,394 people. Not a great look. Not yeah, a great I don't look at all. I don't think Sky Blue, even with the changes they've made, ha- has convinced their fan base that – things are going to be all that different. And from watching their first two games, that feels like the results certainly haven't really improved all that much. Yeah. I It's hard because I think a lot of people didn't buy season tickets and then they fired Novos so close to the season that a lot of people who would have bought tickets if he maybe was fired sooner and they started putting these things in place sooner just either decided not to or decided to skip the first home game. I don't know, but I know they lost a lot of season ticket holders and they didn't have a lot to spare. It makes no sense as to why they didn't do that earlier. Same as the TV deal with the Royals, as well as why 
they're not talking about it more. Those are big announcements. Those are big changes to a club, and they need to be made more public, I think, especially with firing Novo so late. That's just such a huge mistake because I know we talked about this a little bit in the last episode, but that gives the incoming GM no time to really do anything. So, yeah. So sad things about the league, good things about the league. Ultimately, I think the fact that 18,000 people showed up to Rio Tinto and that they actually opened up the south side of the stadium for seats, that is huge. Shall we talk about the game a little bit? I mean, probably. Probably, right? That's sort of the point of a podcast. Um, Honestly, those home games, considering I'm in like row one or two, really kind of hard to see the whole field. Um, especially when you incorporate leading chance into that. But I don't think any of us had any solid idea that Michelle Maimoni was going to start and Kelly O'Hara was going to be on the bench. That was very, very wowza. Definitely some shaking moments there. But for someone out of Pepperdine who we didn't really know much about and I don't think the expectations were that high, for her to come out and start and step up when – Kelly O'Hara's being rested or, you know, we don't exactly know why she came off the bench and Becca Moros is out. That is huge. I was just going to say O'Hara's coming off the bench because of her ankle. Her ankle still isn't 100%. I would be surprised if she starts and goes 90 minutes before the last game, before the U.S. goes to France. Like, her ankle is still a legitimate injury concern. Yeah, and that's that's what Harvey said. That's fair. That they know they knew going into the game that she was not going to be ninety minutes fit. She was not going to be a starter, um, and that Mimone on Friday had a fever of one hundred and two, uh, and like a champ, started her first you know professional game. And I thought she played very well. Um, I know, you know, probably wasn't a perfect performance, but if you look at her heat match, she was just up and down that whole game. Like, she destroyed that wing in a really good way. Um, she was able to contribute to the attack, and for someone who had a fever the day before, like, that's pretty incredible. Um, one of the uh, reporters, a reporter for the Trib, Alex, um, made a joke about how she's, you know, the real, the real Michael Jordan playing with the, with the flu and still crushing it. And I do think it shows that, I mean, Laura Harvey didn't have a ton of options in this game, but it does show a level of, you know, trust from Harvey that she's still putting her out there. Um, Cause I'm sure they could have reworked some things if they were completely forced to, if, if Harvey didn't have faith in her going out there. Um, even against a, a Washington team. So I think it, it's good on her and it, it's good on Harvey for letting her go out there and sort of prove her soul. Absolutely. Beyond exceeding expectations, I think, on that end. Do you guys know another uh, NWSL player who went to Pepperdine who's one of the top players in the league? Who? Lynn Williams. Oh, really? I did not know that. Oh, Gunny also went to Pepperdine, I'm pretty sure. Uh, probably. I trust you. (laughs) I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust me. Oh, man. Um, I think another... I was going to say, you guys want to talk about uh, what happened in the 10th minute? Yes. Yes, I would love 
to talk about how um, Tempe got Lana scored a goal. I am all for that. <laughs> um, that was a great run by Kristen Press. Um, I was definitely thinking you were probably running with the ball too much, but she just wastes those rookie defenders all game, you know, couldn't really finish a lot of those shots, but what she was able to create was amazing. And that pass to Labonta, just that field awareness was so, so good. And I'm so pumped and happy for Lowe. She really deserves that goal. And I'm glad yeah. that she found um, it. I mean, it came from press doing good defensive work, which I, you know, I don't know if it's always expected from her, but she saw an opportunity to cut out a pass. She stepped well and, you know, got the ball. And I think much like uh, you, I, th- I thought she had maybe held onto the ball too long. I just uploaded a picture in the Slack that shows, like, this is right before she passes it to Gunny. And it looks like she's got a great angle to go for goal. And I'm really curious why she didn't. Um, and that was one of the questions I would have wanted to ask her after the game. You know, why in that moment not not go for goal like most strikers would? But you know, she kind of squares it back for for Low, who you know there was some traffic around her, but she had enough time to pick out, pick out her spot and did really well with it. I I think she sees Sullivan. Not to get too much into mm-hmm. the photo, but I think she sees Sullivan and just thinks kicking it out is going to get somebody more yeah. square and they're not going to expect it. Um, Cause you expect Chris and press to, to shoot from there. And I think she was trying to go for the, a little bit of the element of surprise. Yeah. And in that photo specifically, she would have had to take at least another touch to be able to shoot. Yeah. And is she right footed? I, I can never remember who's right and left footed. So, you know, there's always that some players like to pass it to their left. Yeah. What interested me about Kristen Press, and we touched on it a little bit, is just she was kind of everywhere. She wasn't playing her like center forward or even wing forward a lot of the time. She was super deep. She was sort of a menace to the the Washington team in terms of you know trying to start things. She didn't have the best finishing. Um, I think people need to remember this is Utah's first game. Washington had a game on them, even if it was against Sky Blue. Um, so they were a little more organized, just I think because they had that game. But Press really sort of did a lot of things that I don't necessarily expect her to do. But I was really happy to see her sort of just being everywhere, roving all over the field and sort of doing whatever she thought was was necessary. And I'm glad Harvey's giving her a little more leash, uh, a little more rope there to be able to to go out and, and do things that maybe not are expected of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also on that sort of defensive role, I was super impressed with Vero. She had, um, I forget what minute it was in, but that was a fantastic read. And, you know, unfortunately it was a great, um, you know, save that was stopped, but Mm. by Bledsoe, but overall she is definitely something to be incredibly excited about as an asset but also in addition to that i would like to see her play maybe a little bit higher and i think she will come world cup time but if we get you know just what we saw in those 90 minutes all season 
So, so pumped. So, so pumped. I think a lot of that is going to be Harvey tinkering. Like, she's going to just start tinkering and, and seeing how, how it goes from there. I think this was just her first run of having everybody out in the field. Oh, yeah. It'll be a tinker fest for sure. That sounds, like, really problematic <laughs> tinker fest for some reason. I don't know. Like, it just sounds like something that could be super homophobic. I wasn't going yeah. there with it. I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm not saying that, but, like, hmm. just an observation. Uh, okay, interesting. We'll uh, so Urban yeah, Dictionary it did seem like later. Vero played maybe deeper a lot. I mean, she she did good defensive work, but what did you guys think the shape was? It sort of looked like kind of a 4-4, or, yeah, like a 4-4-2 diamond, because it seemed like a lot of times it was press and um, A-Rod up top. I think it was a 4-4-2 that sort of shifted into like a, a, you know, shifted into sort of that Christmas tree shape a lot of the times. You sort of, I don't think, I think Laura Harvey a lot of times doesn't like to find shapes. I think she likes to sort of let people be a little more loose to, to go back and forth. And I think with Laura Harvey having, you know, the expectation it's going to be X or Y can sometimes lead to madness as you're trying to put everything on mm. paper. What do you, what do you think about Desiree Scott, RJ? I put her on my top three for NWSL Media Association Player of the Week, um, the one that gets put out by the NWSL. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. She was the reason that Washington couldn't really get anything going. Um, if you look at her heat map, she's right in front of the box a lot of the game. She just she was able to be a, a an agent of chaos in a sort of the perfect way. Um, if she can keep that up until she goes to the World Cup and then when she gets back from the World Cup, that's going to be a huge, huge benefit to the Royals this year. Agreed. She... She destroyed it. She smashed it. Um, as you wrote in the Google Doc, she sucked the life out of the Washington attack. Yeah, she was she was great, and I think that's a role she's super comfortable doing. So if you know Gunny and Vero and Press can play games where they're a little higher, and you know you sort of let her lock everything down, I think against a team like Orlando, that's going to be super important because. Orlando doesn't really have a, a strong midfield, so sort of owning the midfield and getting the balls forward, not to spoil their preview, but, you know, it's it's what's going to be necessary. Yeah, it's going to be huge. It's going to be huge. And I really like this idea of her sort of cycling back and forming this sort of back three a little bit, I think, when we go on the attack. I think that's really strategic and it was fun to watch that. And I think we're going to see, um, obviously it's going to depend because I think especially, well, obviously she'll be gone for the world cup, but even not considering the world cup, I think sort of a rotating cast of outside backs is just going to be something that the Royals are going to have to work with this year. And so I think we're going to see a, a lot of that sort of depending upon who is rotating in and who is rotating out but she does that job incredibly well. And um, while it may not be her best position, I think she could definitely 
be serviceable as a sort of stand-in center back for a couple games if that was really needed. Granted, um, you know, with with Corsi and Sarabran back there, that's probably not going to be an issue. Yeah, she's not she's not the tallest, uh, which is sort of what you want to see in a center back, but she's definitely intelligent with how she plays. And I think, yeah, I, I it felt like the wings were getting up quite a bit. Like Bowen would be up in the attack somewhat regularly. And if we can see um, Scott stay deep, I think that just really frees up the attack. And I want to see more of that going forward. Lucas, what did you think about the defense as a whole? I know we were talking about it a little before we started, but I thought you had some interesting points there. Yeah, I think um, Becky is as solid as ever. I I think the one mistake that sticks out in my mind was she had a really awkward back pass that um, Barney couldn't quite get to, so went out for a corner. And And from what I could see on that one, it seemed like she just wasn't quite able to control the ball. I did feel like Corsi struggled a bit more, and it might just be, you know, that first game um, playing with your club team after, you know, not having a proper game with your club team. And what, uh, last Royals game was 10 years ago? It's been a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. She, she served up a number of long balls that just ended up going out for either a throw or a goal kick um, for Washington and I don't love that style of play. I know sometimes that can be a really useful tool. Um, but I I don't want that to be the default. Like, let's just send it long when we can. Um, she also had a couple giveaways uh, in the box that felt like – in or near the box that felt really nervy. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea of people who are playing for their national teams that are not – you know, in those top five, not American, you know, Canadian, French, English, um, so on, because German, because you, like, they go to their club teams after that, and they have to sort of reacclimate themselves. And I, I hope that's just Corsi having to reacclimate herself to playing for Utah and for playing next to Becky, who is a very different partner than Corsi is going to have in Scotland. In Scotland, Corsi has to be the more steady person. And here she's able to go up a little more sort of at their best. And Becky's the one that stays back and, and keeps everything steady. Yeah. She had a, uh, Chris had a really interesting quote last week, last Wednesday at the uh, Utah Royals um, preseason press conference. Uh, and she said something along the lines of, you know, where she comes from. It's indicative of your club play. If you get a call up to your national team and that is something that drives her is to be a, a really solid club player. And we've seen that. Like, we know she's good. I think there was probably a number of mistakes. And I think to you know your point, RJ, there is a change in playing for Scotland versus the Royals. And it's okay if there's an adjustment. Yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. I think that's really – when we talk about the World Cup, I think the headline, at least in terms of viewing it from a framing of the NWSL, is, oh, these players are missing. But we need to incorporate into that conversation is that I think, especially with national teams, you're going from one style of play to a different style of play, which is completely different in some circumstances. And so there really is 
this re-understanding, this reacclimation, and that's not something that just happens overnight that we fans think about. So when um, you know when a player misses five, six, seven games, however many games it's going to be for the World Cup, when they come back, they're not going to be. It's going to take them a probably a week, probably a couple of weeks to sort of get to that level club wise of their A game. So that that will be an interesting development. And it'll um, be, it'll be interesting even for a player like Kelly O'Hara or like Kristen Press who probably and Becky Sauer Becky Sauerbrunn's role really doesn't change between club and country. It's to be the safety net right before the goalkeeper. Um, but a player like Kelly O'Hara, who hopefully will be healthy enough, she got to see a few minutes in this game. Um, you have a player who, under Jill Ellis, is sort of only really tasked with attacking. And yes, she's technically an outside back, but she gets back because she's fast enough to get back. With Laura Harvey, even though O'Hara is forced to push up and a lot of the outside backs are, are forced to go up, uh, Harvey is much more okay with O'Hara or another outside back hanging back a little bit if they feel like they're in danger. So it'll be interesting like to see a player like O'Hara who's might not even play defense when she comes back. Laura Harvey might want her in the attack. So I'm always interested in players who have a wild swing. Crystal Dunn for, for North Carolina is another one who may come back and be a number 10 after playing outside back in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing I want to shout before we move into our preview of the Orlando Pride. is So I tweeted this out. But Manti Laddish played her first game of soccer in the numbers contested, but either 951 days or 952 days. Regardless, that is two years and seven months not playing a competitive game. I cannot even imagine the amount of perseverance it must have taken to go through those two hip surgeries and deal with a timeline, timeline like this. And then come back in. That is just phenomenal to me. Absolutely yeah. amazing. I mean, super great to see her out. I, you know, what a baller! Like to be able to do that, come back and contribute in a meaningful way. Like, I'm really excited to see what what she does next for the team. And she made an immediate impact too. It doesn't. It wasn't just like. Yeah, let's get Mandy on because it's the first time she's healthy enough to, you know, play in, in forever. It's she played a significant role in the game plan in what she did. She did very, very well. And I think like when she was on FCKC, um, back when there was an FCKC, she and Vladko had a good relationship, player and coach. And if she had gone through the two hip surgeries in the two and a half plus years of being off a roster or not playing on a roster, then you would sort of understand, okay, Vladko knows how to use her, all of that. But she switched teams. Like, Laura Harvey didn't have to keep her around. She could have said, you know what, you know, right now we just don't have the space or we don't want to, you know, I'm not going to be able to use you. I don't know if you're ever going to be healthy. But Laura Harvey knows the value of what she can bring. And I think that's a huge testament to Laddish that she went to a team and went to a new coach and they could have said, you know what, this isn't going to work out. You're not going to be healthy in time. And they kept her around. You know, chaos might be a ladder, but stability is a Laddish. <laughs> nice. 
Oh, RJ, that was fantastic. Thank you. That was fantastic. Um, some other things that I thought were kind of interesting is so... Samantha Johnson was not on the injury report, if I remember correctly. But she wasn't in the 18 at all. Um, instead, she was replaced by um, Gabby Vincent, who had a good preseason, but that was kind of interesting. I'm assuming an injury there, but that will be something that we will watch and see how that plays out. Barney got the start. I thought Barney was phenomenal. She had some amazing saves, um, particularly on a breakaway towards the latter part of the game where I think Washington probably had their best opportunity. She had a key save there. Um, that battle between her and Abby Smith throughout the season is going to be really, really interesting and really, really fun to watch. Um, also, if you haven't watched the, um, the 12, or I guess it's just part one of the 12 part docuseries that the Royals are doing, uh, Abby Smith is featured in that. It's like, I think a seven or eight minute clip. It's really good. So go check that out as well. Um, just lots of interesting roster things. Is there anything else that y'all noticed that you want to chat about on that? I, I do think Barney over Abby Smith is interesting because I think Barney is such a steady force and such a known force. Barney's probably the most single successful goalkeeper in the NWSL. She's got two titles to her name. She's got, you know, multiple awards for, for different things. I think having her there, it, Abby Smith's going to have to up her game or she's not getting off the bench. And that can either destroy a younger goalkeeper or that can make them better than they ever thought they could be. And I'm very interested to see how it goes for Abby Smith. Exactly, exactly. Um, on that note, I have no doubt that Abby Smith will rise to the occasion. I think... You know, barring a major trade, she is the goalkeeper of, of the future. But I think that, you know, Barney being there is really is really going to push her to have to be better if she wants to play a consistent role in the team. So I think it's a win-win at the end of the day, personally. All right. Shall we move uh, on to Orlando? That, I, just, you know, I, I think it is good to note that the team finished with a clean sheet. Like, that's really significant. Um to get a win at home, especially in front of 18,000 fans, is, I hope, helps the numbers stay strong this season. I, I was really nervous going into the season that the numbers would drop off significantly. And this is the second highest Utah Rails uh, game in attendance in, in Salt Lake. But I really liked hearing from Laura after uh, the game that they were not content with how they played. That they got the win. That was great but the, they did not like the that they didn't do better. Um, she's been really open about wanting to be a more attack-minded team this season. Um, and I think they were more dangerous, and she, she said the same. Um, but to get just one goal, I'm glad that that's something that doesn't feel like enough for the head coach. That's a great shout, Lucas. That's a great shout. Yeah, I think... Um, I think that Kristen Press, particularly, I think that she ran all over the young Washington Spirit defense. But I think there was just this issue of finishing. 
And not only would I have liked to see it, but going back to our predictions, I definitely think that the Royals, um, I thought they would have won by more goals, and I definitely thought they should have scored more goals. There were definitely the opportunities to. It just comes down to finishing, and I think in a couple of instances, that sort of last pass. Um, But yeah, to your point, knowing that Laura is, is is not content with just a victory and just a or you know just a one goal victory and just a clean sheet um, I think it really testifies to the hunger that folks around the organization have as well as the hunger that we have as fans to not to be rude about it to but to be out there massacring teams like the Washington Spirit and like Sky Blue those teams who are sort of in that lower, echelon a little bit more and quite frankly like the orlando pride i i expect that utah should win this game by two or three goals they they should because if they don't that's a huge warning sign to me because this is a team that's tail spinning and this is a team that's tired and Kristen Preff should run over this back line there is no to me there is no excuse if they sort of take their foot off the gas going into this week because it's one of the few weeks they're going to have their, their national teamers left. Yes, yes. If um, So this game against the Pride, if this is not the last game for U.S. women's national team players, then the week after that against the Red Stars. The Red Stars? Yeah. Against the Red Stars definitely will be before the World Cup. As, as we know, Jill Ellis... So the Pride so far, uh, this will be the fourth game that they have played. It will be the Royals' second. So far on the season, they lost the first game, 0-2 against the Thorns in their home opener. And I watched their game against the Courage in um, Week 2, and they looked really, really solid the first half. Um, they were dangerous in a few instances. It seemed like they were able to break up play pretty, di- pretty, pretty decently. And they conceded a goal in the 45th minute right before half. And then it was just a that second half roller coaster. That second half was so much fun to watch. Oh my god, it, it was, was great. It was so much fun. Like I feel I feel bad for Orlando because so. they have just something like they obviously have a two specifically world class phenomenal players and then the just feels like they're somehow also a garbage team. Uh they've got an amazing facility. I think a lot about that club comes off really well, but man, they're not good. <laughs> especially against uh, North Carolina Courage that a lot of people said we're going to take a step back this year. Yeah. I think that Orlando... Lose by five goals. Yeah. I think Orlando is what happens when you constantly sell the farm for a couple of players. Like, Orlando dug themselves in a hole with the trade they did to get Alex Morgan. And then they've dug themselves in the hole with some really bad trades or some non-trades or some trading of draft picks. And it just seems like they are less likely to want to build a strong team and more likely to want to have those big splashy names. Like Marta and Alex Morgan are superstars. Mm -hmm. They are legitimately 
in probably the top 11 who's ever played the game. Like, if you're going to make an all-time 11, these are two that you almost always are going to put there. But Alex Morgan's not getting the ball. And Alex Morgan's the person blocking and trying to get the ball out of the Orlando box on set pieces. And Marta's just trying to play six midfield positions at once. And it's it's a frustrating thing to watch. And it's an opportunity to see if Utah can continue their tailspin or if Utah is going to sort of have that frustration of Amy Rodriguez not being as involved as she should, Kristen Press playing deeper than she probably should, Vieira playing a little deeper than she probably should. So I think it's a good test for Utah where they are. I worry that Orlando is going to be like, okay, we can't lose again, and then has some like miraculous game, and it comes down to points at the end of the year, and Utah is a point or two short. Like That would be, again, Orlando doing this to Utah would be terrible. Definitely my biggest fear, as well as a ref mistake. And, you know, Orlando is so interesting because there are some decent players in there, not, you know, star star caliber players. You know, you got players like Danny Weatherholt and, um, you know, Ali Krieger. But it's just something – I almost wonder if it's something organizationally. But I really like this – I, you know, I really resonate with this concept that they – sell off the farm and not to go into MLS, but you see the exact same thing happen there um, with Nani. And it's just this thing that organizationally top to bottom, we continue to see. So um, going back to what we were saying before, they conceded five goals tied for the the highest um, goal percentage or like the most amount of goals conceded in a game in franchise history. And then on Sunday, they played Seattle uh, in a 1-1 draw. So, nope. <laughs> the Pride. The Rain FC is what you mean. <laughs> sorry. Just, sorry. Just, just, oh, man. Whatever. I was like, shoot, did I say something They are still listed as Seattle wrong? on most no, websites, um, and it's kind of funny. Um, so, the, according to somebody that I know who knows these things – um, the league has decided for all of that stuff, they're still going to put SEA instead of RFC. But then they tweet out or the rain tweet out the hashtag for the game and it's RFC. So the league wants to use SEA and apparently the rain want to use RFC. So we'll see who we'll see how far into the season we get before SEA is no more mm-hmm. officially. That's hilarious. I love that. Um, anyways, point being, they don't have a win. They drew against the Arraign. And, uh, while I wouldn't say they're exhausted because they're not super far into the season, there's also this, this major difference between Royals going into game two, Orlando going into game four. So last year they were seventh place with 30 points. They finished eight, 10 and six. They lost the last four games of the season last year, they are winless in nine games. They have a new coach. Tom Sermani is out. Mark Skinner from Birmingham City is in. This is probably a great move, but whether he can get everyone on the same page or not is going to be interesting to see. Ultimately, I think the biggest problem that Orlando Pride has right now 
is that they lost a lot of very serviceable players and they replaced them with draft picks. We have Sydney LaRue, who's technically still on the roster, um, but she is on maternity leave. The Brazilians, uh, Monica and Poliana are gone. Christine Naren just went to the Houston Dash. And there's no one to cover the tracks of these players outside of draft picks. And most of their draft picks that they have to replace these players, they're not um, super, or at least they're not what I would classify or what I think most people would classify as incredibly high prospects. So it's going to be an interesting train to see, especially when Alex Morgan and Marta and maybe Krieger and also definitely Ashlyn Harris leave for the World Cup. I think Lucas was right. I think they're pretty much, unfortunately, just the garbage team that because they have Alex Morgan and Marta and Krieger and, and, you know, Kennedy, just people rate more highly. But you can't have a team around six people with, you know, minimal return on investments in the other positions. Like Alex Morgan cannot get the ball from the goalkeeper to herself like there's people going to stop her. Like and everybody's going to swarm her because they know she's their only really big attacking threat. So I think that Orlando is in a terrible position this year and the players frankly don't look that invested. I made the joke, but half of the team looked like they were packing for France in that game uh, against Portland. And it's incredibly early to look like you're packing for France at this point in the season. Yeah. It almost it almost feels to me like it's a roster you would build for a fantasy soccer team. Because I remember when I first started playing fantasy soccer, and I've since stopped because it's too time-consuming. But I remember the first like time I played, I just did all, all mid-level players across the board, built like a decent baseline team, and I learned that is not how you win fantasy soccer. You get a few just huge big money stars and kind of fill in the rest with as good as you can do. And that's what it feels like the, the pride have done and to their detriment, because this is not like a few stars can just pull it off. Like you need a whole team there and it doesn't seem like they quite have that. And I don't think Ashlyn Harris putting her team under the bus every week is going to make that locker room. very Like I I've said this before, but could you imagine Nicole Barnhart sitting up at a podium and saying what Ashton Harris said? Could you imagine Betos or Kaylin Sheridan or, you know, Bledsoe, who last year let so many goals in because she was let down by her defense? It just, it feels like that team is on about 25 different pages. And I don't know if Mark Skinner can figure out how to make Alex Morgan play the way he needs her to play for club when, quite frankly, country is probably preoccupying her mind because it has to. Some coaches are able to do that. Laura Harvey seems pretty good at getting national team players, or at least she has a history of it, onto the page they need to be when they're in club. And I just don't know if Skinner is going to be able to do that. Do you that. think, though, a point on the road to, um, you know, when in Tacoma is a good result, especially for Orlando? Like, is that going to boost their confidence? I know that was sort of an incredible goal by Kennedy to do the, the bike or the half bike, however you want to categorize that. Um, like, is that just an individual moment of brilliance or is that something that's going to 
give the team some confidence that like, hey, we can get a point on the road. We can get three points at home. I don't, I, I think that goal was not a lot of indi- individual and a lot of luck. Like that is not a goal you can count on. And the rest of the game, I didn't see a lot of, oh my God, Alex Morgan hit the post six times. Like it just, it, she did, I think hit the post twice, but it just, she's not getting the ball enough. Marta's not getting the ball enough. You have Marta and Alex Morgan and you don't give them the ball. Like there, there's a fundamental problem there. Mm-hmm. It definitely seems like there is a lot of dysfunction and disorganization, at least in terms of on the pitch chemistry and getting what needs to be done done, as well as the fact that overall, I mean, it's just, you know, if I'm the pride, you sort of burn it down and rebuild in terms of the long term. But at least going into this game, so we know what we're up against. The pride team has a lot of talent. They can't really execute. I think Mark Skinner eventually will make them better at that. But like you said earlier, this is a game that the Royals really need to win. I think even with big stars like Alex Morgan and Marta, the Royals have big stars too. They are a better team on paper and they should win this game and they should win this game by multiple goals. And I think the deciding matchup of this is going to be how Becky Sauerbrunn and how Rachel Corsi deal with Alex. Morgan. I was going to say that the deciding um, matchup is going to be confusion between uh, Becky Sauerbrunn's hand and her face. <laughs> you are not wrong there. You are not wrong there. Um, a little scared that the referee could decide the game again. Uh, I want to have faith and trust and hope but um, I will have that conversation with myself once we get there. I mean, unfortunately, that can happen every game. Like Utah had incredibly bad luck that uh, a ref mistook Sauerbrunn's face for her hand, but there are some questionable calls around the league every week, unfortunately. Um, so I don't think the chances are any worse going into Orlando. I do think Alex Morgan knows how to flop for a PK, and that could always be uh, something she busts out. Usually she saves that for the U.S., but she might pull it out uh, for the, the home fans. She needs to save that for France. Yeah, for yeah exactly. That. Don't do <laughs> it, Alex. I know you listen to the podcast. Don't flop. <laughs> uh, um, Sort of a player who I think has not lived up to their potential, but I think could be dangerous for the Pride, is Chioma Ubokugu. And honestly, I'm probably butchering. No, you actually said it better than the uh, commentators. Oh, okay, cool. I mean, my, my specialization is African politics, but that's definitely more of a um, Nigerian name and not... Um, Northeast Africa, which is more my thing. Um, so cool. Um, but yeah, she could potentially be, be on the British squad for the world cup. Kind of seems like she's a bit of an outlier can be really dangerous, but she has moments where she just disappears. So that will be another interesting thing to see, to see if she can sort of regain some form, but I think if we're going to look at predictions, I think the Royals win this 2-1. 
I think they, this is a game that for confidence purposes, and I think just to get the ball rolling to have a successful season due to the fact that, you know, it was one nail and a clean sheet in the first game. I think that, you know, a two Oh, a two up victory or a two, one victory or a three, one victory is something that this club needs. And I think it's something that could happen. But on the other hand, I also see this game being, you know, like a penalty conceded and an Oh one loss. We will see what happens. What are y'all's thoughts on that? I, I think we should keep a clean sheet. And that that's that's a realistic possibility. Uh, I would love to see a two zero win with you know, um, I think Vero can get a goal uh, and probably an assist. Um, and either Press or uh, A Rod would would get the second, but that's probably me thinking more through the mind of a fan than. Well, maybe not. I mean, I. I mean, I Ashlyn Orlando, Harris will be in goal for this game. Yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, they just gave up five goals to North Carolina. I think that's. I think a couple goals from the Royals and a clean sheet is not outside the realm of what's realistic. I would agree with that. I am going to go three-one. I think Marta has a moment of individual brilliance and scores some fluky goal in like the 60th minute. Um, I think, I think press is super hungry and she just wants to find net because she doesn't have very many more games for the world cup. And I think she's using this as much of a mental preparation for the world cup as she is anything else. And if that leads her to score goals, I'm fine with that. Um, so I'm going to say press uh, gets a brace and I will say that Vero nets her first goal in a Royals uniform. I love it. Love it. I fully support that. Even if they don't clean the even if they don't keep the clean sheet. I would sacrifice three goals for a clean sheet. I'm interested to see how O'Hara does too, and if she gets a full half. Um, or if she starts and they pull her off at halftime, because She's such a, a creative player and such a, a player that you depend on if you have her on the roster to do sort of impossible things and get people these balls in. And frankly, as a Royal, you expect her to score. Um, so I will be interested to see sort of O'Hara's progress. Um, and, you know, O'Hara, when she plays her friends, when she plays a Tobin Heather and Alex Morgan, O'Hara always seems to bring a little something extra, so I'll be interested to see how that goes. I am cautiously optimistic about how this season's going to go. I think they, I think they showed a lot of promise. I think there are some areas they need to improve, but I am cautiously optimistic. I, I would echo that. Still, really curious how. I mean, we have a fair amount of injuries. Thinking specifically of Moros, like how we deal with when some of these key players are out for the world cup, that's going to, that's just going to be such a crap shoot. But I think the next couple games are winnable. Um, I'm really excited to just sit down and watch a game while it's live and watch them on the road. I think, I think they'll do, do well. Um, part of me is like the Royals are going to be the best team in NWL hands down, but it's probably a little too soon to make that prediction. You never know, Lucas. You never know. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We will chat with y'all next week. 
good until you crash So I hit rewind and watch while I relive the past And do the highest high that I ever had Girl, I'd ride that wave again If I ever got the chance But I'm done crying And I'm not sorry